Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Our lesson today is on suffering. It's a discussion at the beginning of a consideration on the nature of eternity as compared to time. Paul says our current sufferings are not to be compared to the glory awaiting we followers of Jesus Christ up ahead in eternity. But when Paul says that, he's not saying that our suffering is inconsequential or unimportant. So before we consider what Paul's argument is, we take some time to underscore that suffering, your suffering, matters. It matters to you. It matters to God. It should matter to all of us. Let me read to you just one verse here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, as our first verse of meditation, and then I want to add to it Romans 8, 18. I'll read that to you, but you can keep your Bibles in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In Romans 8, 18, Paul writes this, very similar thought. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Well, at the end of each year, we take some measurement of the time that's gone before us, and we take some gauge in the time that's ahead of us. It's kind of our habit. We have periods in our life when things are rounded off, the years rounded off, either at our birthdays, maybe at Thanksgiving Day, especially at New Year's Day, and we begin thinking about reflexively on what's happened in the past and anticipatory of what's going to happen in the future, and we take a measure of moments and time. That seems to be what Paul is doing here in this passage. He's taking a measurement of time. If you look at the passage that we've just read in 2 Corinthians, for example, you might think that what Paul is primarily engaged in is an act of comparing affliction and suffering with the experience of blessing and glory. But that's not what's happening. If that were the case, he would be comparing one note of sorrow and suffering and difficulty with one note of blessing and glory and you know happiness or fulfillment. And if you did that, one note of sorrow against one note of glory, who knows which would be the lesser and which would be the greater. But Paul is not comparing a note of suffering and pain with a note of glory. Paul is not making a comparison between agony and glory or between pain and pleasure. Paul is actually, instead, he's not juxtaposing these two against one another. What he's juxtaposing is our experiences in time with what will be our experience in eternity. The real comparison is not between pain and pleasure or agony and glory. The comparison here is between time and between eternity. That's what's in the balance. If we were to compare one person's pain to another person's pain or one person's pain to another person's pleasure, well, we would see profound differences between the two. One of the things we need to note here is that Paul is not minimizing a person's pain. He is not minimizing or saying that a person's sorrows or difficulties are trite and unimportant. He's not saying that a moment of sheer delight and joy in your life is of no importance either. Paul is not a stoic. He's not saying that what you feel and what you experience and what gathers around you in your life is of no importance. 
He's actually not saying that at all. In fact, what Paul does at different times throughout his own interaction with people is, on a regular basis, he will compare his trials and his difficulties with those of other individuals in order to demonstrate that his trials were greater, that what he had to overcome was more significant. And as a result of that, Paul will say, you need to listen to me. I have a unique kind of wisdom that I want to give you that's been fashioned in the furnace of intense affliction. I've suffered, and as a result of my suffering, you shouldn't take what I have to say to you lightly. You should pay attention to what I'm saying. So Paul doesn't diminish or say that suffering is, in that sense, a light thing. It's not a comparison. In fact, if it comes to just comparing your pain with another person's pain, sometimes your pain wins. And it means... You've got something to say, because you know what it's like to suffer, and they don't. Your little children, when they're little, they think they've suffered so terribly, and they don't know what suffering is. One of the big jokes in our family was a time when my son, as a little boy, wanted a pack of gum. He had a good day. It was during the holiday season. He wanted a pack of gum, and he didn't get it, and he began to break down and cry in the car. And then he shouted out, this is the worst day of my life. (laughs) We have experienced some pain that's a little more profound than that, you know? (laughs) That actually gives us perspective on life that you don't have. So he's not minimizing pain here. In fact, for a moment, let's let this be our first point. For just a moment, let us do what Paul is not doing and compare affliction with affliction and note that your suffering matters for something. Your suffering matters for something. There are those who suffer more in life than others, and their suffering is not unimportant. It's real, and it's deep, and it's profound, and it speaks to something. If you go to 2 Corinthians, where we're at, and you turn over for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll see that one of the things that Paul is dealing with in this letter is he's dealing with a group of individuals who have inserted themselves into fellowship that he began And they're inserting their authority and their leadership with the hope that somehow they'll gain privileges and honor and blessing from these individuals, that it would be advantageous to them. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 13 says that these individuals who are coming in the name of Jesus Christ are actually false apostles. They're deceitful workers. And they've come boasting about their knowledge and they've become boasting about their authority and they've come boasting about the labors and effort that they've made in ministry in order to position themselves in favor to extract things from the people. The people buy into it, by the way. They accept these claims of these other individuals. They're willing to be lorded over these people and even insulted by these people because somehow these people have made a big deal about their status and standing. And Paul says, well, if that's the game you want to play, then... Let's make a comparison here between them and me. And he goes on to make the comparison starting in verse 22. Verse 22, he writes, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Now, he says, I speak as a fool because he's already said they're false apostles. But assuming they were, I am the more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, 
and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among the false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, who is weak and I'm not weak, who is made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. And God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. Is he making a comparison here? If that's the comparison, I prevail. You listen to me. But I want you to notice here. I want you to notice that in this comparison we see that suffering is not an insignificant thing. And also, I want you to see here that when Paul speaks of affliction, or when he speaks of suffering, he is not referring to the affliction or suffering that comes upon us because of our sin or our rebellion. And he's not talking about the affliction or suffering that would come upon all people just because it's a part of being a part of this natural world we live in. Job in Job 5.7 that says that man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. And as you get older and older, you realize that's true, but that's not the kind of suffering that Paul is referring to. Instead, Paul is speaking of the suffering that comes for the sake of serving Christ and His kingdom and His gospel. Or he's speaking of the trial and suffering that comes when our faith is tried for the glory of Christ so that we can experience the Spirit of Christ who was willing to enter into the sufferings of the world. And he brings us into those sufferings with him. All people, all people in this life will suffer. But for the Christian, there is this rare opportunity to suffer as we lend our bodies to Christ so that he may fill up his sufferings within us. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 for a moment. Paul says something very interesting about the note of suffering that he's endured, that he's just described for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for the sake of the gospel coming to you. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Apparently, the suffering of the Lord Jesus in His identification with a broken world is not complete. It's not over. He's now completing that expression and experience of suffering in His suffering church. We know it. Remember when He stopped Saul on the way to Damascus? What did He say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who was Saul persecuting? The Christians, the church. But Christ owned it. It was his first and foremost above everything else. Our suffering will often increase as we give ourselves as servants for the gospel. We'll suffer the attacks of a ruthless enemy and an opposing world. We'll suffer as all persons who are bound to this earth suffer, but our suffering can be transformed to something meaningful when we suffer in Christ and for Christ and for His glory and for His honor, when we suffer as, in a sense, a means of Him filling up His suffering in the world. Well, let's go back to this idea of comparing pain with pain. All Christians suffer in this life, but we need to also know that not all will suffer to the same extent. Some will suffer more than others. 
God has sovereignly determined that it would be such. Some endure greater losses, greater sorrows, greater bereavements, greater deprivations, greater trials, greater challenges to their faith. Some must overcome greater doubts, greater opposition from their communities. Some experience greater loneliness and greater poverty. Some will even go down as martyrs. Summing it all up, Philippians, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 29, For to you has been granted on the behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. But let's be honest. We in North America who are basically fearful of suffering have not suffered like other followers of Christ have and to the extent they've suffered in other lands. Not even close. Having said all that, having made a comparison of pain with pleasure or agony with glory. And by the way, not only do people suffer more than other people, but some people experience greater pleasures in life. Some people experience far more enjoyment and pleasure in life. Not only, some non-Christians actually have greater pleasure and benefits and blessings from this life than Christians have. They even extract it at times from their sin. The Bible talks about the pleasure of sin for a season. And they experience these pleasures and these benefits that flow to them even in the midst of their own sinful behaviors. And I guess, in a sense, these count as well. They're not unimportant. We, for example, although we don't suffer like everyone else in other parts of the world, we should be grateful that we don't. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208 331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.